Hello and welcome to uh, the first in this year's uh, series of the uh, Geriatric Lecture Series. Um, my name is Paul Mulhausen. I'm a physician here at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics and director of the Iowa Geriatric Education Center. Um, my intent today is to uh, give you an overview of falls in older adults to uh, prepare you for um, the other presentations that we will be holding over the course of this year uh, as part of this uh, lecture series. I do want to disclose that I don't have any financial interests or relationships with any manufacturers or products or providers of services in which I might be discussing in my presentation and you can see the remainder of the disclosure. So essentially, I have no disclosures to report. I'd like to start out with a case, um, one I'm sure many of you are familiar with. So 83-year-old woman calls up the nurse in the doctor's office, my office in this case. Uh, she lives in independent living wing of an assisted living center, and she calls to say she's had a couple of falls during a recent night. And just wanted to call in and report that she didn't seem to be hurt. Uh, she did not want to call emergency medical services at the time, and um, she chose not to discuss her falls with the staff at the assisted living center. Uh, she comes in about a week later to an appointment uh, and having had a total of three falls, including the two from that night. So what are the objectives of our presentation today? Well, when you're done with this presentation, I want you to be able to review and discuss uh, the impact of falls on uh, older patients, uh, discuss the multifactorial nature of falls and how this multifactorial uh, nature affects evaluation and management. I want you to be able to discuss elements that are key to the valuation of falls that flow from the multifactorial nature. And we want to discuss uh, interventions that have been um, shown to work. So to help you understand the impact of falls, um, I want to share with you some of the epidemiology. Falling down is a common medical problem among elderly patients. Over a third of all of, all of the people over age 65 will fall each year. Now, that translates into an older adult being treated in the emergency department for a fall or fall-related injury every 18 seconds. 3% of all falls result in a fracture. And if there's not a fracture, sometimes prolonged lie time can cause injury, such as mus muscle breakdown, uh, rhabdomyolysis, uh, severe bruising. So not only is falling down a common problem, but it's actually quite serious medical problem as we've just started to discuss. Among older adults, falls are actually the leading cause of injury death. They're the leading cause of non-fatal injuries, and they're the leading cause of hospital admissions for trauma, again, among older adults. You can see here in the lower right-hand corner the data from Iowa, these are deaths related to falls. And you can see that in the uh, 75 and 85 plus populations, uh, there's a substantial spike in deaths related to falls in these older 
climb in, in these older uh, fellow Iowans. It's interesting that people 75 years and older who fall are four to five, four to five times more likely to be admitted to long-term care for a year or longer. So not only are the injuries significant, but they also potentially um, impact the social circumstances and living circumstances of the people who suffer from falls. There are 250,000 hip fractures each year in the United States, usually related to a fall, and 50% of the people who fall are, are left with a prolonged fear of falling. And in my own practice and in my own personal life, I have witnessed people who became disabled by their fear of falling. Falls are not only a personal health problem, they are a major public health problem. Here in Iowa, falls are the leading cause of injury, hospitalization, and emergency room visits. And you can see here, again, on the lower right-hand corner, hospitalizations related to falls and how they start to spike at 65 and really skyrocket in the 85-plus group. Falls are the second or third most common cause of injury-related death among all Iowans. Hospitalization care charges for fall average about $10,000 per visit. And the total charges to Iowans for fall-related injury, since they're usually covered by Medicare, is $92 million per year, the largest of any injury indicator in Iowa. So falls are a costly public health problem. In 2000, the direct costs in the United States of all fall injuries um, exceeded $19 billion. Um, so it's quite a bit of money. And by 2020, um, it's expected that the direct and indirect costs of fall-related injuries will reach $54.9 billion because of the aging of the population. And in across the USA, the average health care cost of a fall injury total $19,440. This includes the hospital, nursing home care, emergency room care, home health care, but did not include uh, physician services. So falls have a, a dramatically large impact on older people and all Iowans. They're common. They are a major personal health problem that causes pain, disability, and psychological effects. They are a major public health problem, and as a result, they are quite costly. Let's go back to our case. We find from the history that she'd hit her head on one of the falls, and has a small right posterior scalp laceration that's clean and healing. She feels dizzy much of the time. She has problems with post-herpetic neuralgia pain and ongoing problems with sleep. She feels she needs more treatment to help her with the neuralgia pain, not less. In this particular circumstance, neuroimaging was done, and you can see from these three um, sections of her non-contrast brain CT that in the right anterior portion of her brain, she had developed either a uh, subdural hematoma or um, a subarachnoid 
um, hematoma. So she had this fluid collection in her brain as well related to her falls. Now the good news is despite the impact, some falls can in fact be prevented. Now I know that this is very uh, data looking, perhaps a little scary if you're not used to looking at these kinds of charts. But essentially what I'm trying to illustrate here is that for preventing at least one fall and for reducing the rate of falling among people who fall, there is uh, evidence from a synthesis of the literature that falls can be prevented. I think one of the more difficult um, psychological effects of working with older patients who's fall, who fall can be the difficulty um, appreciating the impact uh, our work has on their well-being and fall prevention. But the scientific literature and the synthesis of the scientific literature suggests that uh, falls can to some extent be prevented, although our interventions are imperfect, um, they are uh, effective, and we should cons consider uh, ways that we can most uh, effectively implement those interventions that are known to help prevent falls. If we look at, um, again, another synthesis of evidence from the community, we can see that there are a variety of interventions that have been looked at. These include multifactorial risk assessment and management, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. You can see that we can look at exercise programs, we can look at environmental modifications, and we can look at education. In isolation, you can see that education and environmental modifications have not been proven to um, prevent falls in the research that has tried to better understand their role. But on the other hand, as isolated interventions exercise, and this multifactorial risk management that includes environmental modification and education have both been proven both to um, reduce the rate of falling at least once and to reduce the monthly rate of falls. Um, for those of you familiar with the term number needed to treat, you can see that uh, at least in this particular analysis, the number needed to, to treat with a multifactorial risk management strategy was 11, which is uh, quite impressive. Um, so we know that in isolation, multifactorial risk management and exercise interventions done appropriately have been proven to be effective at reducing the risk of falling once and reducing the frequency with which people who fall fall. What I think that the last slide does help illustrate is that effective preventive strategies or the most effective preventive strategy that we're aware of at this time would be a multifactorial assessment and interventions that are done to um, modify the risk factors identified on a multifactorial assessment. So I think it's useful to um, step back 
and think about the multifactorial nature of falls because it's quite rare that a fall is uh, brought on by a single particular event. Falls are multifactorial in nature. There may be a precipitating environmental factor, a, a um, stairway, a crack in the sidewalk, a slippery floor, uh, poor lighting at night. Um, but there are usually also some predisposing host factors, changes in the body, changes experienced by our older patients that predispose them to um, disequilibrium and uh, poor balance. Uh, these host conditions may be chronic long-term changes like neuropathies or arthritis uh, that would cause problems with balance or weakness. Or they may be acute short-term um, changes such as acute infections that cause delirium and predispose people to falls. In addition, medications are often a predisposing host factor that must be considered in this multifactorial um, milieu of predisposition to falling down. Interactions among these factors are what lead to the lost stability and ultimately cause falls. To help us better understand these intrinsic risk factors, these host factors that seem to impact our risk for falling, I put together this table for you uh, based on uh, the 2001 American Geriatric Society and British Geriatric Society guidelines. And these are ranked in terms of their uh, apparent effect or impact on, on risk of falling. And you can see that muscle weakness um, has a, increases one's risk of falling by uh, fourfold. Um, having a history of falls, not surprisingly, increases the risk of falling. Having abnormality of gait increases the risk of falling. Using assist devices, again, a marker probably for a balance deficit. Uh, increases one's risk for falling. We've already discussed arthritis, vision loss, uh, sometimes a remedial problem in the case of cat cataracts um, can be a risk factor for falling down, cognitive impairment, and of course uh, most of the falling down we see is happening in our older patients and age has been found to be a risk factor for um, falling down. But these are um, changes, part of the host, part of the patient uh, uh, for which we need to be vigilant when we're assessing people who present to us with either a history of falls or for assessment of um, a fall that has happened. Now in our particular case here, uh, we can start to look for some risk factors. Um, she has an undifferentiated connective tissue disease. Uh, when I met her, she actually had presented with Sweet's syndrome. It ultimately proved to be rooted in this undifferentiated connective tissue disease. Um, this has been complicated by an antibody deficiency with decreased immunoglobulin for which she receives IVIG and associated leukopenia. This undifferentiated connective tissue disease has resulted in 
uh, chronic muscle weakness and fatigue. She also has a history of paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. Um, this is rhythm controlled with medication. We can talk more about that. She has mild mental regurgitation. She has a lot of difficulty with sleep that's complicated by a history of restless leg syndrome and post-herpetic neuralgia. Uh, I will comment that she has uh, some of the most uh, painful post-herpetic neuralgia in my current practice at this time. She has a history of depression and is under uh, treatment for this disorder. Um, her other medical problems include uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease, allergic rhinitis, and hypertension. So then we talk about the extrinsic precipitant factors, the environmental factors that come into play and how the host uh, changes in the host interact with changes in the environment. Um, so it's useful to be thinking about extrinsic fall precipitants or extrinsic factors or environmental factors that might affect one's ability to maneuver around a living uh, space and could present a unique challenge to one's balance that would precipitate a fall. In the home, thinking about clutter, um, unsecured carpets and furniture, slippery floors, poor lighting, you'll see that this may play a role in our patient, low toilets. In institutional settings, improper bed heights can predispose people to problems with falls. Um, improper chair and stair height, loose carpeting, again, poor lighting can play a role. And outdoors, um, sidewalks, uneven ground, a number of patients I see each year fall out in their backyard because of the unsteady ground on which they're uh, maneuvering. Again, clutter and poor lighting can also play a role. The point of this slide is to um, help us think about the patient in their uh, living environment in the broader context of interacting with that living environment. We bring together the host factors interacting with the extrinsic fall precipitants. So in our case, our patient resides in an independent wing of an assisted living center. So she's not part of assisted living. She's in the in independent component. Her falls have always occurred at night in poor lighting while she has been trying to walk to the bathroom. So in her particular circumstance, um, part of the environmental problem may be poor lighting that's taking place at night. It's important and critically important to take the time to review the medication list on patients who are presenting to uh, you with falls or for whom you have a serious concern about uh, fall risk. Um, here are drug issues that come into play as fall risk factors. And the most challenging one I find in my own practice is this um, risk of increased falls by taking four or more prescription medications. Uh, this in and of itself has been proven to be a risk factor uh, for poor balance and falls. Uh, the use of benzodiazepines has been shown in many circumstances to impact balance and affect fall risk. Tricyclic and SSRI antidepressants are, are proven risk factors. 
I think many of us grew up hoping that the SSRIs would have less impact on um, fall risk than tricyclics, but there's an evolving and growing body of knowledge that suggests that the SSRIs also have an impact, uh, negative impact on fall risk. Neuroleptic medications, so the antipsychotics. Again, you're starting to see a pattern here of psychoactive drugs that um, prove to be risk factors for, um, for, for falls. Anticonvulsant therapy, one of my great early learning experiences was uh, a person who was falling and was ultimately found to have an excessively high dose of phenytoin or dilantin. So be vigilant for uh, problems related to anticonvulsant use in your patients who fall. Uh, type 1A antiarrhythmics have been shown to be, uh, in some studies, a risk factor for falling down. Diuretics, cathartics, by virtue of their effect of driving the need to ambulate at night to the bathroom, have in some studies been shown to be um, precipitants or significant uh, risk factors for falling down. To give you some perspective on the role of drugs as fall risk factors, you can see that 8% of falls in nursing homes have been attributed to acute drug toxicity. So nearly one in 10 falls in nursing homes can be attributed to literally uh, a problem related to a medication. So here's our patient's list. You can see I've sort of failed her in terms of keeping her medication list down to less than four. Um, she's taking alendronate, amlodipine, aspirin, calcium. Um, I guess I can get away with the aspirin and calcium not being prescription, but she's also on Allegra. She's taking flecainide. Um, for her paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. She's on gabapentin for her post-herpetic neuralgia. Potassium, um, for reasons that quite frankly at this presentation elude me, but I believe she's had problems with hypokalemia. Rapinerol for her restless leg syndrome. Sertraline and trazodone for her mood and her insomnia. Uh, she takes hydrocodone periodically because of her post-herpetic neuralgia pain. And you can see, although I have the incorrect dose there, the temazepam should be 30 milligrams at bedtime um, as needed. These risk factors end up being cumulative. So if you study a group of people um, who have run one single risk factor, that um, we've reported here in our previous slides, about 27%. So a quarter of them are, will report fall, falling in the time interval studied. And if those risk factors go up to four, now it's up to 75% or 80% who report falling. So the more risk factors, the higher the risk. And in one model, just looking at um, these three risk factors, so hip weakness, muscle weakness we talked about, unsteady balance we've discussed, and taking more than four medications. If you had none of these um, particular risk factors, had a one in 10 chance of um, falling. So if you had all three, you fell.
So in the time period studied, those without any of these risk factors, one in 10 fell per year. And in those with all three, hip weakness, unsteady balance, and taking four medicines, everybody fell over the course of a year. Um, again, indicating the cumulative effect of these risk factors and giving you a better sense of the risk factors for which we should be um, looking in our assessments of patients who fall or are at risk for falls. So in our particular case, if we put together a risk profile um, relatively quickly, you can see that she suffers from weakness, although I don't describe it uh, to you. Um, she is weak um, from her undifferentiated connective tissue disorder. Uh, she has a balance deficit. She's feeling dizzy. Um, at the time we saw her, she had the uh, intracranial, intracranial fluid, um, but uh, also even at her baseline has a balance deficit. She's taking 11 prescription medications that puts her at risk. So right there, 100% chance of falling over the past year um, statistically. She's also taking psychoactive medications that may play a role in her imbalance and her falls. And she is 83 years old, so that puts her age over 80. So our particular patient here is at high risk of falling, has already fallen, and um, there are some findings um, in our risk profile that we can target. So what is the point of um, targeting these things? So what are we trying to accomplish? Well, we want to try to minimize the risk of repeating falling without compromising mobility or function. Back in the old days, we saw a lot of people who fell and who were ultimately restrained. So we want to try to avoid this. We don't want to compromise their mobility or function. We want to look for ways that we can optimize their function and reduce the risk of falling. If we can, we want to find a primary cause that we could uh, significantly ameliorate um, or remediate or cure. Um, and if we can't find a specific cause, we want to look for the remedial factors, um, the risk factors that we can change or modify and impact uh, with uh, proven interventions. As we move forward, here are the concepts of a fall assessment. The assessment should be multifactorial. We, we have to spend the time understanding the risk factors so that we can um, search them out, seek them out, uh, make sure we ask the right questions when the patients are in our offices or in our institutional settings or at home if we're seeing them for a home visit. We wanna assess and modify intrinsic risk factors um, in a medical model. We want to make sure that the fall assessment includes an assessment of their gait and balance. Um, uh, we're actually going to spend an entire lecture on, on helping you um, with your technique and assessing gait and balance. And we want to make sure that we assess these extrinsic um, environmental risk factors. So assess and modify ha hazards in the patient's home environment or living environment or, or the environment in which they spend the day. And then ultimately the intervention needs to flow from this multifactorial um, assessment. It appears that the most 
um, beneficial outcomes emanate from multifactorial assessments identifying multi-component risk factors and then attempting to intervene at those risk factors that are remediable. So let's just go real briefly through um, details of a typical history physical exam of a older patient who falls. So review the circumstances surrounding the fall. In our case, we learned that it's taking place while she ambulates to the bathroom. Um, note the location, time, and activity of falls. Again, in our case, uh, she's always walking to the bathroom at night when she falls. Assess the effect of the fall, injury, lie time, anxiety. In this case, the dizziness actually ends up being um, something that does not uh, precede her falls. It's a residual after her falls, and it ultimately the dizziness improves substantially after her um, intracranial fluid collection is treated. Assess the frequency of falls. Um, assess for associated symptoms. This can be especially important for trying to identify those patients who are falling from either brady or tacky arrhythmias, slow heart rates or rapid heart rates that might um, benefit from electrophysiologic intervention. An assessment of functional capacity, how much can they do on their own, how much are they gonna need assistance with, um, and of course, essential, it's essential to review the medications, both prescription medications, non-prescription medications, and medications or complementary medications, alternative therapies. Physical exam can focus on um, a variety of things. Postural blood pressure changes become critical. Um, Management of orthostatic hypotension can have a major beneficial impact on um, preventing falls. So make sure that the physical examination includes a measurement of postural blood pressure changes. This is so important that in my own geriatric practice, every patient at every encounter has uh, postural blood pressure measured um, to make sure we identify problems with um, postural blood pressure drops. Mental status evaluation would be very important, important to identify uh, cognitive impairment, um, both chronic and acute. Assessment of vision um, in the office, very important. Again, identifying those people who have some loss of vision that's uh, remediable. It's important to check out the foot health. I can't imagine the number of people I see who have uncomfortable feet uh, from poorly cared for um, toenails and um, old um, unsupportive footwear. So make sure foot health and footwear are noted and uh, problems uh, with them can be addressed. The cardiac examination, again, becomes very important, trying to identify problems with uh, a slow heart rate or rapid heart rate that might cause a, uh, uh, a drop in blood pressure that would predispose the patient to a fall. The neurological examination, um, noting uh, significant uh, motor or sensory deficits, and of course, the musculoskeletal exam um, including range of motion in the joints and um, 
um, musculoskeletal strength. In our particular patient, she has fairly good uh, range of motion. She's, she's not orthostatic at the time of the evaluation, but does have a relatively low blood pressure um, on treatment for hypertension. Um, her mental status at the time of the visit is quite good. Um, she's starting to note some problems with vision. Um, her neurological exam at the time is non-focal. And um, at the time of our evaluation, her heart rate and rhythm are normal. The gait and balance assessment becomes very important. Um, there are a variety of ways to do this. Again, uh, we're going to spend a whole another lecture in our geriatric lecture series, helping you develop greater expertise on the tools that are out there and your knowledge of those tools. Uh, the tools that I think that are most frequently promoted are these four. So the get up and go test is simple and quick and it can be used to stratify risk. Um, we have on the Iowa Geriatric Education Center website instructions for how to correctly perform the get up and go test. And I encourage you to go to our website and take a look at that. The timed get up and go test can also be used. Um, and the performance oriented mobility assessment. This was um, the tool that uh, was developed by Dr. Mary Tinetti, a premier researcher in the area of falls. Again, you can find both the um, gait and the balance assessment components of the performance-oriented mobility assessment on the Iowa Geriatric Education Center uh, website. Um, later in the series, when um, we'll be talking about gait and balance tools. I hope you'll hear more about the Berg Balance Scale. I actually know very little about it, uh, but I uh, interact with a number of people in the rehabilitation disciplines, especially physical therapy and occupational therapy, and they um, use the Berg Balance Scale uh, quite a bit. Assessing the environment again becomes important. What becomes challenging about home assessment and environmental assessments is who should do it, when should it be done, um, what happens if you educate people but no modifications take place. Um, you can give people home checklists. This is a list of a variety of hazards that can be looked at. Um, but remember, when these are identified, the person who lives in the environment has to make the changes to make it more uh, a, a safer environment, a more fall-friendly environment. So if you look at the literature, in fact, health professionals um, seem to show um, the greatest benefit. So a health professional home evaluation followed by modification of the environment by the health uh, professional seems to be the most effective way to try and assess and modify the environment for hazards that uh, might precipitate falls. Um, nonetheless, many of you may have to work without these resources and home checklists and patient education may be one strategy to use to help patients problem solve the issues surrounding home hazards and extrinsic factors. This next slide 
um, offers a clinical approach to falls. It's based on the American Geriatric Society 2010 update on their clinical guideline for falls and fall prevention. Um, there are a couple of um, interesting changes from uh, previous renditions of this guideline. Um, and I'll point those out in a minute, but I want to just walk you through a couple of key, well, all of the key elements. So the first issue is, you can see, is ask older patients about falls and balance or gait difficulties. And what this implies is screening, screening people. So when you're seeing your older clientele, when you're working with older patients, um, you should ask them, have you fallen in the past 12 months? Um, and or are you having any problems with balance or gait? If they have not had any falls in the past 12 months and are having no balance or gait difficulties, again, once a year, you might want to reassess them and see how they're doing. If they report two or more falls or they report problems with balance or gait difficulties, you'll want to put them through a multifactorial assessment. Uh, looking at predisposing, precipitating factors, and then doing the multifactorial intervention that uh, comes out of this detailed um, um, assessment. Many of our patients will fall, and it will be just bad luck. They'll be doing something that um, they probably shouldn't have been doing on ice without a Yakima tracks on their feet, and will have had that fall in the past 12 months but will um, deny any um, balance or gait difficulties. When you assess their gait and balance, if it looks pretty normal, you can, again, reassess them periodically. If you assess their gait and balance, but it's abnormal, again, you'll want to put them through a assessment of predisposing, especially looking at these intrinsic factors that are resulting in their abnormal gait or abnormal balance, and, um, and then use the results of the assessments for your intervention. If you'd, uh, actually I'll refer, at the end of the slideshow, I'm gonna give you the URL for um, the formal um, algorithm um, being uh, supported and promoted by the American Geriatric Society, and it is, it's worth looking at. So that was all about assessment. Um, so then the question becomes, uh, all right, so how do we do this multi-factor management stuff? Again, you look at the multifactorial assessment, you identify the risks, and then you implement uh, strategies to address these particular issues. So for instance, in our particular patient, living in independent living, dark um, hallway to the bathroom, uh, may be useful to talk to her about uh, night lighting and keeping the, the hallway uh, lights on at night so that she can actually see um, as she makes her way to the bathroom. May be appropriate to modify her home environment. And actually, we'll talk about how we did that in our particular patient a little bit later on. If you identify medical problems, you'll want to treat those medical problems and optimize therapy. Um, supplementation with vitamin D has been in synthesis, syntheses of the literature shown to be helpful in terms of fall prevention. So it makes perfect sense to supplement vitamin D 
um, in those at risk, and that would be 800 units to 1,000 units a day. It may be appropriate in some circumstances to measure the 25-hydroxyvitamin D level and replenish um, those who are vitamin D deficient. Proposing strategies to minimize medications, uh, try to get those medications down to four, try to decrease the dose of the psychoactive medications. If a um, problem with heart rhythm is identified, referral to a cardiologist or a colleague or a physician who can um, perform the needed procedures uh, such as pacing, pacemakers, uh, to help manage the heart rhythm disturbance may be uh, appropriate. And of course, managing uh, orthostatic hypotension. If you find functional problems, rehabilitation referral for those who have gait and balance disorders, who can then prescribe individually tailored exercise programs. We talked about a looking at the feet and footwear, um, helping patients find supportive footwear um, that's appropriate for their circumstances. And of course, education always ends up being an important factor, at least a routinely um, included factor uh, or intervention in these multifactorial management programs. Now here I wanna focus um, on some proven interventions that have uh, been shown to impact future risk of falling, because I think these are ones you want to really make sure you pursue or consider. So customize exercise programs, and these um, should be focused on strength training, balance, gait, and coordination. And it looks like all of those components are necessary. Strength training, balance, gait, and coordination. Many of you have heard about Tai Chi and its beneficial impact on fall risk. So when you think about Tai Chi as an exercise, it combines elements of strength training, balance, gait, and coordination. So it's not surprising that that particular type of exercise program has been shown to have a, a beneficial impact on falls and fall risk. So um, when you're writing out the um, consultation to the um, rehabilitation specialist who would be prescribing, or if you are prescribing your own, make sure that the uh, um, um, necessary elements are included. Strength training and balance, gait and coordination. Um, gradual discontinuation or dose reduction of psychotropic medications. Um, you'll learn a little later on that my efforts to discontinue many of the psychotropic medications in my own patient uh, failed, but the, um, we were able to achieve some dose reductions. If possible, reduce the number of medications to less than four. Um, I find this to be increasingly difficult in a uh, world in which drug therapy appears to be um, uh, beneficial for a wide variety of disorders, but there may be opportunity to explore the risks and benefits of the particular medication program being used in patients of advanced age. And uh, management of postural hypotension has been something we've talked about uh, several times during the course of this uh, presentation. Treating precipitant or contributing Heart arrhythmias is a 
proven beneficial effect, especially for those who have uh, fast heart rates or slow heart rates that are seeming to cause um, the, um, the falls. In fact, there is at least one study in which those patients who continued to have falls and no clear identifying uh, precipitating cause improved with placement of a pacemaker. Um, professionally supervised modification of home hazards by occupational therapist or other health uh, discipline after hospital discharge has been proven to be effective. So I want to emphasize professionally supervised modification. Vitamin D supplementation we've talked about and I'll uh, reiterate it here. And of course, we've um, really tried to highlight the um, potential for multifactorial assessment with interventions targeting the risk factors in those who fall frequently, those who fall and have gait and balance disorders um, can be uh, a very helpful approach to helping them minimize their risk of future falling. It's been very interesting to see uh, Dr. Tanetti's work as she's tried to translate her research on individual patients and in uh, communities to um, broader communities. And she's done some work in which she um, educated caregivers, um, primary, primary providers mostly, about um, fall prevention. And they targeted risk factors of um, difficulty with walking and transfer difficulties, people who had balance problems, management of postural hypotension, use of four or more medications, foot problems, vision problems, and home fall hazards. And you can see here um, that in their particular study, um, if you look at serious fall-related injuries, which is the graph here on your left, um, this would be the intervention group where at baseline, the intervention group and the usual care group had essentially the same rate of fall-related injuries. And over the course of educating these providers in fall prevention strategies, there was a drop during the study that remained after the study relative to the experience of the people with usual care. So reduction of injuries, that essentially was a 9% reduction. And then if you look at the use of medical services, which is the graph here on, on your right, you can see that in the intervention group here in red, usual care group here in green, they start out pretty similar, but over the course of the study, um, fall-related use of medical services uh, has, is lower in the intervention group and even lower later on after the study was completed. So community-based programs to um, reach out to um, people living in the community and to providers providing service in the community can have an impact on those communities. And I'm proud to say that we here in Johnson County are in the midst of a community-based intervention at fall prevention called Sure Steps that's being run through the Johnson County Livable um, Communities Initiative. Um, so it's quite exciting for us to try to uh, duplicate some of the work that Dr. Tanetti has done 
right here at home in our own uh, backyard. I want to talk a little bit about patient education. Um, patient education in isolation hasn't really uh, been shown to um, measurably impact uh, the risk of falls, but um, it's been fairly routinely included in multi-factor interventions, assessment and interventions, and, and it probably ends up being very important. Uh, probably, I won't say probably, it ends up being very important. And, and remember, um, it's ultimately the patient who has to know what the purpose of all this is. So uh, one would be to discuss with them and educate them about the risk factors and how management strategies can be helpful to them. Uh, we've already talked about how it's usually an element in some of the multi-component interventions that have been researched formally. Um, it's useful to help patients plan for a fall if they can't get up, maybe an opportunity to discuss with them personal emergency response systems um, that they can use when they can't get up. And it's an also opportunity to talk about other um, risk factors for injury, such as uh, the role of uh, assessment for bone density and osteoporosis and treatment of uh, osteoporosis for prevention of fall-related fractures. So let's go back to this, my case. Here, here are my notes. I added a, another one at the bottom. Um, and just see what we did with her. Um, she's having some problems with her vision, and that's being assessed in the ophthalmology clinic, and actually ultimately she had her cataracts extracted. Um, I referred her to PT for strength and balance training um, that she found somewhat helpful. Uh, we wanted to target a series of medications that she was taking, sertraline, temazepam, trazodone, hydrocodone, gabapentin, and amlodipine. Um, in our course of our conversation about um, how to proceed, she was quite invested in her temazepam as needed occasionally for sleep and in her um, hydrocodone for management of her postheretic neuralgia. And so we made some changes that she was um, able to uh, live with and I was willing to um, compromise on. So because of some relative hypotension, we decreased her Norvast dose down to five milligrams daily. We cut back her sertraline dose in half. Actually, I'm not sure what dose I presented to you early, but we cut her sertraline dose in half. We cut her Neurontin dose down to 300 milligrams at bedtime and gave a trial without the trazodone. Had her come back relatively soon to see how she did with these changes. Um, the Neurontin, we did gradually taper. My hope was that we might be able to taper her off. And although not listed here in this note, I ultimately did have her use a lidocaine patch, which allowed us to minimize the dose of her Neurontin for postherpetic neuralgia. Um, she wasn't sure what dose of vitamin D and calcium she was taking, so I asked her to make sure we reviewed these. Um, and um, because of insomnia, I decided I'd refer her on to a sleep clinic for uh, assessment. Six months later, we'd made some adaptations to her home environment by having her move to assisted living for improved adaptation for um, her uh, 
present mobility circumstances. She felt that her balance was better six months later, but she was still feeling a little bit weak. Part of the rehabilitation consultation included the prescription of a walker. She was using this successfully, including when she was uh, going to the bathroom and back from her bed, and it was uh, preventing her from having problems with the fall. We talked about the lidoderm patch, which allowed us to keep her uh, gabapentin dose at a minimum. Um, we reviewed her vitamin D and calcium supplementation, and she was quite fastidious about her vitamin D that was being taken at 1,000 units every day. Um, she really didn't tolerate a taper off of the sertraline or the trazodone, but did ultimately end up on half the dose of sertraline that she had been on with uh, effective um, management or treatment of her depression. Interestingly, the sleep study did identify the presence of sleep apnea, which was being with CPAP. Um, I have to admit, I haven't really seen her since this, this last visit to reflect on you, the, the role of the CPAP in terms of minimizing her use of temazepam and whether we ultimately might future be able to eliminate the trazodone from her medication regimen. Just a comment on fall prevention in the community and working with uh, real patients. In one of the practice settings in which I work, um, I see a number of people who clearly have significant fall risk uh, based on um, comprehensive geriatric assessment that includes uh, formal inquiry about falls and formal routine uh, assessments of gait and balance. And I am routinely surprised by the number of patients who um, will refuse um, referral for additional evaluation by rehabilitation specialists who will refuse um, evaluation of home hazards or home modifications. And there's an interesting body of literature that I think can help us get some perspective and empathy on those circumstances when we sometimes um, feel frustrated. So we find that many people can see these uh, fall prevention advice and interventions as a potential threat to their identity and to their autonomy. So we are um, starting to highlight um, the um, potential problems to independence. So um, one recommendation would be to try focusing on positive benefits or rather than discuss about fall prevention and preventing falls to try to uh, frame the conversation as one of improving, improving balance rather than risks. And then it may be appropriate to start with a single step in your what I call multi-factor matrix of risk factors. Get started with one thing. Get them going on a balance and gait exercise program. Then see if you can't encourage them at future visits with serial visits and follow-up to do some of the other um, changes that might be potentially helpful in terms of uh, minimizing their fall risk.
I want to talk briefly about the long-term care center. Remember, this presentation is intended to give you an overview. We are actually going to have an entire lecture dedicated to the long-term care center, but I recognize that many of you work in long-term care and may wonder um, about fall prevention and long-term care. So it's a big problem. Um, 20% of the deaths from falls occur in people who are living in nursing homes. And remember, that's only about 5% of those over age 65. So half of all people who live in long-term care settings will fall each year. Um, the fall rate can be as high as 150 to 250 falls per 100 beds or patients per year. So it's a pretty high fall rate with um, many people falling repeatedly. Um, many of the people who live in long-term care settings are there because of falls, so they are a group of people at especially high risk. And sadly for those of us who work in these settings, um, falls and related fractures do pose a legal liability for us. Um, but there is some research, and I have to admit I have selected, this, uh, selected uh, one single study that was effective, and there are some studies that have proven to be not effective. But I think it does illustrate um, that in some settings, you can actually impact um, the frequency with which falls take place. So in this study by Jensen, which I believe took place in Sweden, um, with a multifactorial uh, institutional um, quality improvement program, they were able to decrease the incidence of falls in one year and reduce the number of injurious falls in one year. And if you're like me and you work in a care center where there are about 100 beds and we run pretty full, you can expect that there will be 244 falls per year instead of 306, and there'll be 1.6 injurious falls per year versus 6.1. So, um, by incorporating these strategies into um, the delivery of service in long-term care centers, both the incidence of falls can be reduced but not eliminated, and the number of injurious falls um, can be reduced but not but probably not eliminated. So, what I hope you've gained from this uh, presentation today is a better understanding of the impact that falls have on the health and well-being of older people. I hope you better understand the multifactorial nature of falls and the uh, need for a comprehensive assessment of both the patient and the patient's environment um, to identify uh, the multifactor risk factors. Assessment should include a search for known risk factors, um, as we've discussed, and should be included in the assessment. The assessment should include a formal assessment of gait and balance. Again, later on in the series, we're going to give you more um, information, more um, opportunity to develop greater and deeper expertise in this area. There are proven interventions that can be incorporated into the care of patients to minimize their future risk of falling, and these should be targeted to the um, identified risk factors that are found in the assessments. Here's a um, slide just showing you what's up. 
So you can see from my overview, um, I've slighted uh, many of these topics. Uh, next month, Dr. Jogerst will be talking to you about gait assessment. Um, Ken Mobley in April will be here to talk about fall prevention and exercises. Erica Miller, uh, uh, occupational therapist with ONR, will talk about fall risk assessment and balance tools, and it's there. I hope you learn more about the Berg Balance Scale. Medications are a major issue, and we've invited Jeff Raist, uh, one of our pharmacists at UIHC, to discuss that topic with you. Um, home modifications often require adaptive equipment. It's easy enough for me to say, oh, modify the home, but if you don't know how to do that, uh, Dr. John Barr will be here um, to discuss adaptive equipment to prevent falls. Sherry McKay um, from the College of Nursing here at the University of Iowa is going to be discussing in detail how to perform a professional home evaluation for the prevention of falls. Stacy Lyons, uh, Dr. Lyons, uh, who I think these days is working at Palmer Chiropractic as a research nurse, but has a lot of expertise in preventing falls in nursing home settings or long-term care settings, and she'll spend some time with that. We've got a team, tag team, Laura Cullen and Renee Gold, who in October will be discussing preventing falls in the hospital. And for those of you who are running um, geriatric care services, and you're wondering how to set up a quality improvement program for um, fall prevention, uh, Lynn Perrine will be here in November uh, to help you and me with that. So I'm looking forward to um, um, building my own expertise in these areas as our lecture series progresses. There are several resources uh, that I feel you really need to know about. You really need to go take a look at these. They're exceedingly helpful and they lead to a variety of other places. So one is our own website. You are already watching our, our lecture series, so you certainly know about the Iowa Geriatric Education website. You can find some of the fall assessment tools here for those of you who want to practice and think about um, a clinical assessment of falls, one of our geriasms is a simulated virtual patient um, um, exercise in falls and how to be thinking about falls. So take a look at some of the resources on the Iowa Geriatric Education website. Um, the Center for Centers for Disease Control has a wonderful website on falls in older adults. Um, I've put the URL there, but um, to be honest, I can never remember it and I rarely have it handy. And what I do is I go to Google and I put in CDC, falls in older adults, and uh, it's usually the um, link at the top of the page. The American Geriatric Society just last year updated and have published uh, their fall prevention clinical practice guideline. It's exceedingly helpful, uh, both for those of you who want to develop expertise and for those of you who just need an algorithm from which to work um, and make sure that you're covering uh, the appropriate bases and, and providing the interventions that have been proving to work. Again, um, the URL is there, but um, I can't can never remember that either. So usually I put in American Geriatric Society into Google, um, fall prevention guideline, and sure enough, it pops up there. 
Um, the American Geriatric Society has told me that this particular guideline is uh, open for public view, and I have spent um, hours on it, uh, looking at it, and, uh, and I highly recommend it as a resource. Um, I believe we're going to uh, put on our own website a, a PDF file that summarizes the American Geriatric uh, Society clinical practice guideline recommendations. For those of you who are familiar with the American Medical Directors Association, they have a fine clinical practice guideline on falls and fall risk. I think it's $15 for those of you who are members. It's $35 for non-members. Again, the place to order this particular guideline would be to uh, go to the American Medical Directors Association website um, and uh, look under their publications. And if you can remember or have it handy, the URL uh, at the uh, bottom of the screen here, that takes you directly to um, a, uh, a website that from which you can order that particular guideline. When I was uh, younger, as a senior resident, I had two medical students who knew I was interested in aging and geriatrics. And they very kindly uh, gave to me um, the book Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And I've always been intrigued by this particular quote um, as I've thought about aging and I've thought about falls. And so even in his youth, Florentino Ariza climbed up and down stairs with special care, for he had always believed that old age began with one's first fall and that death came with the second. So I think our task is both to help people uh, prevent that first fall and once they've had that fall, try to help them prevent that second. So I hope this has been a helpful overview of falls, fall assessment, um, and fall prevention strategies. Uh, please, um, those of you who want to learn more, uh, follow up on the uh, geriatric lectures that are part of the series over the course of the um, rest of the year. Um, sure to be a lot of very good information. Um, thank you very much for your time and your attention. I appreciate it deeply.